Now, the series that we're in is called Hope's Journey, and last week I talked about the progression that we found from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5, where he talks about suffering, begins to talk about suffering, and how that uh, there is a formula or a progression or a journey of hope, and that's our title, Hope's Journey, a journey of hope from suffering into other uh, elements, perseverance, perseverance, character, and character to hope, and our scripture was uh, Romans 5, 2 through 3, and it, uh, this is what it says specifically, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, and this is where he goes on, this is what we're going to be covering here today, and we boast uh, because we know, we know that suffering produces Perseverance. Paul seems really confident that we all know, we should know that suffering produces perseverance. But we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about that today. And uh, specifically, a sort of a supporting or corroborating verse through this, which is in James chapter 5. And so if you brought your Bible and you want to turn there now and put your finger in it, um, you can I invite you to do that. James uh, chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 7. I could say this, and I think I would get a full agreement from all of you, but times have changed, have they not? And I know that we would all shake our head, yes, times have changed. We all realize there's all kinds of different examples of that. But we get these little reminders during the holidays, especially because the holidays are a time of remembrance and, and different things, so we're reminded of different things. And uh, specifically, when you're trying to communicate to the grandparents what the kids want, on their list, that's always a reminder of how things have changed to get them to understand what exactly that video game is and does and you know, all of those different things. So we, we know this, when I say times have changed, we, we know this, we recognize this, but I thought we could have a little fun with this to illustrate it as well. So I'm gonna invite my friend Gabe up here. Gabe, come on up here, buddy. <laughs> now Gabe is not a shy, thank you, give him a round of applause. Gabe is not shy. He's, per, he's been in our uh, Easter plays as well. Go ahead and step in front of this mic and you can adjust it how you want here like this. Just squeeze it. There you go. Now, Gabe, um, what, how old are you, Gabe? Um, 11 years old. 11 years old. Okay. Now, is Gabe short for Gabriel? Yes. Okay. Like the angel? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, I'm friends with your parents and I, I know all the stories. Would you say that you're living into this name? Um, maybe. Maybe. That's such a Christmas answer. <laughs> right? Good for you. Now, I know that, did, did you, do you have a phone? No. You, well, I do have this. You do have, so can you explain, can you explain what this is? Um, this is a smartwatch. It's like a phone, but not really. It's like, it's like a flip phone, but on your wrist. <laughs> Boy, he is translating, isn't he? That's, that's incredible. Okay, so, um, but you can make phone calls with your phone or with your watch, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so you know, you know how to do that? You know how to, like, pull it up and you can call dad or mom and that kind of thing? You want okay. me to? No, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. God forbid we would want a phone to ring in the middle of my sermon. <laughs> okay, so... Um, do you know how to do you know how to hang up the call when you're once you're calling? Uh huh. There's yeah, okay. a big. Okay. So here's a question. I got a really important question. You can answer for everybody here. Mm -hmm. Why do they call it hang up the uh, phone? 
probably because in the olden days, when you were hang on the like landline, you would like when you were done with the call, you'd like hang it up on the wall. You hang it up on the wall. Okay. So, Gabe, we're gonna we're gonna put you to the test here a little bit. Okay. And uh, first of all, don't say it out loud. But do you have your parents' number memorized? Um. That's it, important. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no you can't you. just pull it up. What if it goes dead? You need to remember your parents in case of emergency, okay? You need to, so don't say it out loud. But, um, so just pretend that you know your parents' phone number. And what I want you to do is, uh, this is from the olden days, as you say. Um, could, how would you make a call to your parents with this phone? He said, let's see if I remember this from what? Fortnite. <laughs> from his video game, Fortnite, okay. <clears throat> How's he doing? No? I think we forgot a critical step in this process. That's good. Okay. Good. You're fully extended dial. That's great. Okay. Okay, now, at, no, no, okay, so um, let's, let's hear it, everybody. Would he, would Gabe, uh, Angelic Gabriel, would he survive in the olden days? No, but good try, you're a good sport. Okay, everyone give him a round of applause, okay. Thank you. Times have changed, have they not, right? And um, as times change, as things develop, they just become a normal part of life, right? And we, because they become a normal part of life, they become a part of a pattern and a routine, we set expectations according to those pattern, routine things that we just get used to in, in life. I, I was re reading or listening to an art, uh, a segment on NPR about online shopping and you know some people are not happy with some of the companies that are providing these online services and they were uh, they were inquiring consumers you know would you stop the online as a protest if you're unhappy and they say I'm very unhappy with these companies and what they're doing and their business practices and how they treat all the employees so are you going to stop online shopping well, no I'm not going to stop online shopping are you kidding I mean it's it, I'm just too used to it it's too much ingrained in the fabric of life and how I'm used to things. And so we build expectations from these things that we've come to expect. And one of those things for us, and just in our context here, is ease of access. Things are easier to do, more accessible, faster, and online shopping, right, is a great example of that. But... What happens then when suddenly things are not as easy? What happens when things are not just at the push of a button? What happens when your iPhone updates and your button has moved and you freak out because you don't know how to navigate this thing anymore? What happens when the power goes out? 
What happens when suddenly you have children and you can't move through life faster, as fast as you did before? What happens when there's a disruption in the patterns and the expectations that we have established? We suddenly grow a bit of dissonance and dissatisfaction, disappointment, and even the bigger things. The bigger things, when we expect that life is just going to go well for us, and we learned last week, that's not the case. We learned that even though we celebrate in, in, in awe and glory to God on this celebration of Christmas, the, the gift of Emmanuel, Christ Jesus, the Christ child is given to us, it's a moment of celebration and glory and, and majesty and beauty. But the holidays, for many people, have that direct disruption of their own grief, their loss, their, their suffering. And it's almost like there's an incongruence between the experience of the holidays that everyone else is feeling and the experience that people are having in their own heart, in their own lives. And it can be really, really difficult to navigate. When we fail, when we fail to have our expectations met for us, we can get depressed about that. We can be discouraged about that. And many people can feel hopelessness in the midst of all of that. And so when we look at the early church and we look at all of the hopes and the, and the dreams that they have for what God was doing in their midst and what God was going to complete in their lifetime, the suffering that they were facing in that day was a disruption from what they were praying about and, and reading about and learning about and, and conversing about together as the community of faith. Now the book of James is a little bit of a different letter in the, in the New Testament. Most of the letters are written by the Apostle Paul, but James uh, was a different kind of leader. He was the leader in the church in Jerusalem. And... Um, and so when he writes his letter, he's really thinking about uh, primarily the Jewish Christians that are scattered all throughout the, out the region. And so he has a very pastoral approach in his letter. He has a very practical approach in his letter. And much like all the other letters that we find, there's some really key themes that come about. Wisdom is, is a key theme in the book of James. And also particularly this thing called the, the parousia, the, the second coming. Everybody in that region knew that there were kingdoms established. Even before the great kingdom of Rome, Alexander the Great before Greece and Rome, there was a common practice that existed for, for ages that when the conquering kingdom went out to battle and went out to war and they returned victorious from that battle and from that war, they were greeted with a celebration. They were greeted with a, a parade as the, the general or the emperor in, in the case of Rome would parade back into the city and they were met with all kinds of homage and celebration and awe from the senators, from all the other leaders and they were greeted by them and oftentimes because of the different religions that took place in that area, there would be a sacrifice to the local temple every time a victorious leader would ride back into the city. There was this sense of ceremony, this sense of arrival. And that's exactly what the word parousia means. Parousia means arrival. 
It was later translated into the Latin of Adventus, which means Advent. You see, it was a word that the early Christians knew quite well, and they helped them to understand exactly what Jesus had promised, that one day he will also have another arrival, that he will come back and he will make right all of the wrongs and the injustices of the world, and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, and we will live in full communion with God the Father. But here's the thing, that these early Christians believed, to their core they believed this. They believed that as Jesus had promised it in their lifetime, that the fulfillment of it would also take place in their own lifetime. They believed that the parousia was imminent. They believed that it was going to be happening any moment in time. It could happen with, with, as a, with a blink of an eye. In a flash, it could, it could happen. And this parousia, this arrival could happen and, and God's fulfillment of his kingdom would take place. They believed that to their core. And so each time that they suffered, each time that they had to endure persecution, they were in the midst of a, a crisis or a struggle of suffering here on this earth and wondering, when, God, when are you going to do this? It's not really unlike the kind of crisis that we feel in the midst of our deepest, darkest suffering. When, God, when are you going to take care of this? When are you going to end our suffering? When are you going to end it all for good? They fully believed this. And so James, when he writes to them in verse, uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the parousia, the Lord's coming. Be patient. Be patient. And then he continues on with an illustration to explain it. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. I love this illustration. And obviously, James is not the first person to use agricultural um, uh, stories to prove a theological or, or prophetic point. That's something that Jesus did quite often. Look at the farmer. I, I spent a little bit, I'm not a, I'm a city boy, but I, I did spend some time observing farmers uh, at where we lived last and there were fields all around us. And it was amazing. I, I'm still convinced to this day, no occupation, no person works harder than a farmer. I'm, these farmers, they work so hard. They work hard uh, in the, early in the morning, late at night. I see combines running in the middle of the night because the time is so precious for them to get their harvest completed. Farmers are extremely hardworking people and yet have zero control over the results of their work. Their hard work, their dedication, the busyness that they experience is only to create the conditions by which a harvest can have the best chance 
of coming to fruition. But they don't do the growing. Nature, God, does the growing. They only work their hardest to try to create the conditions in the chance that they would have a good crop. And ultimately, anything could happen, right? A good farmer could farm the best that they know how, do everything right, buy the book, and things could still go wrong any given season. Is that not correct? They are completely out of control when it comes to the results of the work that they are, that they are doing. See how the farmer works? See how the farmer waits patiently for God to do his part in the picture? See how the farmer waits and doesn't try to manufacture his own crops, his own solutions, his own results, or the fruit of his own labor? See how the farmer waits patiently for God to do his part? So we too, we also need to be patient. See, here's what I, I think God's saying through this, and, and maybe something that can bless us here this morning, is that, that God, godly endurance is a supernatural patience. And when I say supernatural, I'm not trying to make you feel overwhelmed and Uh, intimidated by that word supernatural. It just simply means that we're not waiting necessarily for our circumstances to change. We're waiting for God to act. See, that's, that's the difference between the kind of endurance that the early believers faced and the kind of endurance that, that other people would face. Other people would be looking to solve their own problems. They'd be trying to climb themselves out of the hole that they dug. They'd be trying to pick themselves up by their own bootstraps. But a godly patience is a supernatural patience because it simply means that we're waiting for God to act. And God's actions might result in a change of circumstances. It might. That's usually what I default to, right? God, I don't like this problem. <laughs> I, I don't like this situation that I'm facing. Can you just change that? <laughs> Can you do something? Could you change the landscape? I, 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 you know, I can't do it, so if you're gonna act, God, could you just, just change that? The prayer that I like to not pray is that the other option, if God is going to act, he, is gonna, he may change the circumstances, but he also might change you. And that's the prayer I don't like to pray. <laughs> I I never really pray, God, I'm facing this problem. Can you change my heart so that I can endure it? Could you give me more endurance so that I can keep facing this struggle but a little bit better? I don't like praying that prayer. But when God acts, it's one of those two things. He's either gonna change the circumstance or he's gonna change you. He's either gonna change the circumstances and provide you relief from the storm, or he might provide strength that you can endure through it. And sometimes he'll, he'll do both, right? But if we're gonna wait on God to act, if we're not gonna jump ahead to the results, to the, to the crop, to the, to the fruit of our labor, if we're gonna wait for God to act, we really aren't in control with what God is going to do, are we? 
Holy endurance, godly endurance, simply means to wait upon God to do something and not rush to do something ourselves. People that are in grief recognize this. People that are dealing with their own suffering recognize this because they're reminded that they can't solve it. They can't, they can't do it. And so many wish that they could just get over it already. And when they can't, there's only one way to turn, waiting upon the Lord. I really believe that this is the kind of endurance and strength that Mary and Joseph also faced in their long trek to Bethlehem. I'm glad that we recognized um, the city of Bethlehem uh, earlier in, in worship um, because it's, uh, we, we forget sometimes that when Joseph and Mary travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem 90 miles, um, oh, 90 miles, that's, I mean, that's like going to my in-laws, you know, for the holidays, right? And we forget that you know, it would have taken them a long time. Oh, yeah, and Mary was late in labor, and, you know, um, can't imagine what they were going through. Can't imagine how many times they might have recalled the angels speaking to them in their dreams as a reminder to drive them, keep forward, to keep pressing on, to keep going, even despite the hardships and the difficulties that they were facing. I, I can't imagine the determination and the strength that they were able to muster up when they were rejected at the inn by the innkeeper. I imagine this is the kind of endurance that Joseph and Mary needed in this nativity story, much like the kind of endurance that the early Christians needed in the midst of their suffering for, for their faith. And it's also the endurance that I think we need in the midst of our struggles. And while we wish God would just come back already and deal with these problems that we, that we face, what does it look like to endure? What does it look like, not on our own strength, but to simply wait upon the Lord to act? And James goes on in, uh, in verse eight. He says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And you'll notice if you have a different, uh, this is the NIV, if you have a different uh, translation of the Bible, it will say strengthen your heart or establish your heart. That's the literal translation. Strengthen your heart. I find that, that order, that, that directive to be kind of interesting. So strengthen your heart. I mean, you're waiting for God. You're waiting for God to act, and we're waiting patiently for God to do, to do something, but you strengthen your heart. Do you see the, the active verb there? Strengthen your own heart. Strengthen your heart. There are things that you can do. There are things that you can order in your life to be, remain strong and to strengthen your heart. And the use of heart here is much in the same way as we would use it, when we're talking about someone that is full of spirit, full of heart, she's got a lot of heart, that person. I immediately went to one person that I knew has a lot of heart in our congregation. Uh, Vanessa Weigelit um, has been suffering for a while uh, from cancer that recently returned, dear sister of mine. And 
I called her up. I had seen her in the hospital a couple weeks ago. She's home now, and I called her up and just asked her, how are you doing? And she said, well, I had a bad day today. I had a bad day. I said, but yet you still have this tremendous attitude, this uplifting spirit. And trust me, when she was in the hospital even, people were blessed by her presence because of how uplifting she had been in the midst of her own suffering. Every time I would go to see her or talk with her, it just amazed me how steadfast and enduring she is in her heart, in her spirit. And I said, what, like, what do you do? Like, how do you stay strong in the midst of it? And she said, well, right now I'm having a lot of breathing issues because the cancer is affecting her, her breathing and um, you know, I can't sing like I used to, but I still keep a hymnal next to my bed at night, and when I have a hard time breathing and I can't sleep, I just pull out my hymnal, and I just muster up the, the words of the hymns. And, um, you know, I always, she, she quoted Robin Roberts. She said, I remember Robin Roberts who said, God allows you to turn your mess into a message. I love that. You see, someone like Vanessa, she, she certainly hasn't given up, and and each day is a struggle for her. And she puts things in her pathway and she busies herself by strengthening her heart, knowing that each day brings its own struggles and difficulties. Strengthen your heart. And then um, James goes on, he's, in verse nine he says, and don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And I'm really glad James included this because this one speaks to me a lot. I was actually reminded of this. I mentioned last week Home Alone is my son's favorite Christmas movie. Of course, he was watching this week. He's watching Home Alone 2, and I was struck by, I think it's Harry, one of the criminals there. He's the grumbler, right? You know, when he gets hit by the face, on the face with a brick. <laughs> I know it's kind of a caricature and it's an exaggeration, but sometimes it really captures a little bit how I feel sometimes, you know, when I'm driving during rush hour or other things that just don't go my way. <laughs> when I have certain expectations and life goes a different direction and I find myself grumbling. I'm glad James included this because I think it really captures kind of a, the negative side of of our waiting and enduring, the patience that we have. But it really is a matter of perspective. I love this quote from a French author, Alphonse Carr. I caught this this week and I loved it. Some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns. I'm thankful that thorns have roses. I like that. Don't grumble. Strengthen your heart. And don't, don't grumble against one another. Don't grumble in general. Stay upbeat, upright, positive. And why? He captures it all, James does, uh, in verse 11, where he says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full, listen to this, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Do you notice the name James brings up here? Job. Job was the quintessential example of the sufferer. I talked about him last week because he was also mentioned. Job, the ultimate sufferer. And do you remember Job? I, I remember the story of Job. I don't remember the whole compassion and mercy side of things. I certainly remember how he suffered, how he lost everything. But if you go to chapter 42 in the book of Job, you find this final concluding word of restoration that is brought to Job. Not erasing the past, not removing the suffering, but inserting something new of restoration. Why? Because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In waiting for God to act, it's important to remember that remember what God has already done. In waiting for, the, for God to act, it's important to remember what God has already done. We already have full reason to sing about and to celebrate and to proclaim the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It just so happens that it, when James says, be patient, brothers and sisters, that word patience is also used in other parts of Scripture, Romans 2, 4, for example, 1 Peter 3, 20. It's the same exact word that is used to describe God's patience with us. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let that final word from James be your motivator, your driving force. Even when the circumstances around you seem to be crumbling, even when you feel chaotic and you don't have a grounded or centered holiday season, if you're feeling lost or in despair, depressed even, remember, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And that's the reason why we wait. It's the reason why we endure. That's the reason why we face the darkness and the brokenness and the troubles of life as it presents itself to us. Because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let's pray together. So God, we take this just this moment to remember your kindness, your compassion, your mercy your patience, your long-standing, gracious patience with me, with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercy. Bless us, God, as we come before you during this holiday season. Help us to not rush Help us to not place trust in ourselves as the solver of our problems, as the manufacturer of our solutions. Help us to wait upon you in that we will be truly blessed. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand with us in the midst of our waiting? Let's rejoice together. Thanks to Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. Reason for great joy. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to me always right now. Sing that again. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to me always right now. Shall come, shall come to me always. is coming back again. Live in patience, not passive and sitting idly by, but working diligently for the kingdom of God as it unfolds. And I believe that you'll get to see little glimpses as the Lord works in your heart and your life. And if those of you that feel like in the midst of your grieving and your, your suffering, you feel like it's been holding you back, just know that the, that the Lord works exactly through the midst of your suffering, not despite your suffering. So I pray that today you'd be encouraged to hold on, to be steadfast, to endure. And I pray that we as your church could come alongside of you and surround you with that love and that compassion of the Lord that as he gives it to us, we give it to one another. So go in his peace, go in his love, go in his mercy. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.